Welcome, everybody, into this edition of Football Americas alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebi Salazar. Herc, this is episode 201 of this show, and I can guarantee you it will be unlike any other episode that we have done yet, and I hope that it is unlike any other episode that we will do in the future because we are tasked with talking about a colleague and friend in the past tense. Uh, anyone who watches this show will know well who Grant Wall is. He was an icon of American soccer journalism. And like many of you, late last night we were terrified to hear the initial reports of Grant falling ill in the extra time session between Argentina and Netherlands. He was covering the game at Lucille Stadium. We were even more shocked and saddened to then hear those reports confirmed that Grant was taken to a hospital. And like many of you, we were distraught uh, when we got the final message this morning that Grant Wall passed away at the age of 48. Um, I think we're both probably still, to be honest, in shock. I want to get your feelings on this in just a minute, but I think it's appropriate to start with some of the reaction that we've seen from around the soccer world uh, and probably no better place to start than with the statement that was released by the U.S. Soccer Federation, a federation that has for a long time worked hand-in-hand -hand with Grant Wall throughout his illustrious career. This is from the U.S. Soccer Statement. The entire U.S. Soccer family is heartbroken to learn that we have lost Grant Wall. Fans of soccer and journalism of the highest quality knew we could always count on Grant to deliver insightful and entertaining stories about our game. The statement would go on. Grant's passion for soccer and commitment to elevating its profile across our sporting landscape played a major role in helping to drive interest in and respect for our beautiful game. As important, Grant's belief in the power of the game to advance human rights was and will remain an inspiration to all. The statement closes with an offer of condolences to those new Grant Best, including his family, friends, and colleagues. And as you can see here, ahead of tonight's matches on the FIFA official Twitter account, a tribute to Grant Wall who was covering this, his seventh Men's World Cup. It's difficult to know where to begin, um, but I think the feelings right now are very raw, so I guess let's start there. Uh, what are you feeling? You know, I'm, I'm terrible with death. Dealing with it, talking about it, I don't even know where to start. I'm one of those people. Um, We found out that something had happened a few hours before the rest of the world. That numb feeling, that shock, the, the disbelief, because we literally sp spoke to Grant, we're in communication with Grant the day before. Mm -hmm. He'd invited us to his birthday party here in Qatar. I had a short conversation with him. And then to hear something like this, it, it's difficult. And 
I see the reactions from people. Mm. And how everybody has a Grant Wall story. Yeah. How everybody shares the same sentiment. Just how kind of an individual he was. It makes me feel terrible how I took him for granted. And I use my own personal experience. Since I can remember Grant Wall, when I was coming up, Major League Soccer, the Galaxy 2005, that was my first recognition of Grant Wall. When the producer asked if I had a picture with Grant, I was sure I had a picture. I was sure I had something. I've had moments with Grant, and I couldn't find a picture with Grant Wall. And I started thinking about every major moment in my life. Forget about football. In my life, my personal life, my wedding day, the birth of my daughter, my son, my birthday. Then you go professionally, my retirement, the birth of the show Football Americas. There was always a Grant Wall text message. Mm. And I took it for granted. And I feel terrible. He really was one of the kindest individuals in, in this American soccer sphere. You know, uh, the man personally knew my wife. He, he spent time in my home. He came out to see me in Torreon, Mexico, mm. convinced Sports Illustrated to write a story on me. He was one of my first colleagues when I started working at Fox. Still an active player. Pulled me to the side and said, you have a major future in this. Keep going at it. Every single thing that I tried in this sport was in some way, shape, or form encouraged by Grant Wall when he didn't need to. Yeah. You know? I'm shocked. I was shocked. I was saddened. I was angry at online. Not e His wife hadn't even made a statement and there were speculations and there was people already doing things for cheap clicks. To, to be on first, I, I, just a wave of emotions, but I'll leave it at this. The overwhelming love that this man has received mm. to me is eye-opening. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm a little upset that I didn't get to take that I took him for granted so much. Yeah. I think it's... The thing I feel is just like an overwhelming sense of loss. Like irreconcilable loss. Um, I think that's mostly for the people that knew him closest. Um, his family. But I think beyond that circle, there is the circle of the American soccer media. There's not a ton of us. There's more now, but... For a long time, it was, you know, five or six names that you knew, and that was it, and Grant Wall was one of those names. And I always kind of thought of Grant as within that group part of or the entire kind of moral backbone. And sometimes we disagreed or we didn't like that. We don't like being told what's right or what's wrong. But uh, 
without a spine you can't walk and I really truly believe that he kind of held American soccer journalism to a moral standard that will be very hard to replicate in his absence. There's, there's a massive void. And then beyond that circle, for me, there's another circle of the American soccer family. Because I think everybody that loves the sport in the United States at some point has felt like an outsider. You, you try to talk about soccer and, and the people around you don't really get it. So when you find people that do get it and do love it, there's a real connection there. Um, I don't know that he was the patriarch of that family, but he was damn close to it. I can't think of anybody else that I would assign that title to. And so it really feels like a member um, of the extended family is gone and gone way too soon. You mentioned how you didn't always agree with them, and it's, it's funny because there are plenty of people out there who didn't agree with Grant Wall on a lot of things. Right. Maybe a majority of things, but they respect the Grant Wall, what he's done for the growth of this sport in this country. <laughs> we, we come from a world, Seb, where we're used to the Jose Ramon Fernandez, you know, Carlos Alberto. We're used to Gomez Junco. There's a tree mm. of these figures right. in our world. He was one of the only figures in our world. Yeah. If you had to say North of the border. US yeah. media in American football, American soccer, the number one name that would pop up to everybody is Grant Wall. Yeah. It, yeah. it really was. Yeah. He was 48 years old. It goes to show you how amazing a career he had. 48 I years know. old and he was already that figure. I mean, yeah. he just saw him receive a little trophy, a little award FIFA from award FIFA, from yeah. FIFA for Seven men's World Cups, five women's that, World Cups. So I think this was 12 overall for him. The man dedicated his life to the sport here in the U.S. when maybe it would have been more fruitful to do other things. Mm. Yeah. Um, if I could just say a few things, like, I'm not a journalist, but kind of in that journal world, um, some things that I admire about Grant. He was he was not a one-trick pony, right? He was plurifuncional, yeah. as we talk about kind of soccer terms. He was a dogged reporter. He would break news and break significant news, and that's like, you know, one skill. He was a brilliant storyteller. Um, I can just right off the top of my head, I think of the Freddie Adu podcast um, that he put out that told Freddie Adu's story. I grew up a few years older then, but in the same DC world is Freddie Adu. Um, I, I consumed that so quickly. I, I loved every second of that um, of that podcast. There's the documentary out now. About I did three hours with them. I know in that documentary. He was he questioned me for three hours, and I just remember. I mean, I I'm a I'm a nerd at heart when it comes to to football, and, and to sit down and and just be part of that. Yeah. I mean, just the questions. He, he knew exactly where you were coming from by the questions he would ask you. I'm a kid who grew up in two worlds, just like you, Mexican-American. And the questions he's was, he was asking is what we do on this show is what we... Like, he got it. He got, he got it. it. He got it. Yeah. He got it. And not a lot of people get it. And you could say what you want about him or his style, but the man got 
soccer in this field. The man got football. And I truly feel he wanted American football, American soccer to be respected, to be equals in the world's game. And if you talk to anybody, and we've been here almost 40 days. Yeah. Grant Wall is a recognizable figure for our international media. Our colleagues south of the border, on the Portes, on Latin America, as soon as I walked in, the talk was Grant Wall and who he was, what he had done, and how tremendous of a loss this was. It's... Yeah. yeah. Just to finish the thought on the documentary, Good Rivals, I think it came out like Thanksgiving Day. It's basically USA-Mexico rivalry, the history of it. Um, I just can't, I can't wait to get back and watch it now. I already felt that way. Um, I feel more that way now. There's one more thing I, I want to say about Grant's ability to do it all. He was also a brave journalist. And anybody who wants proof of that can see what Grant was writing about, what Grant was tweeting about, what Grant was wearing, and where he was doing it from in the final days and weeks of his life. That, that takes a lot of courage. And I think, you know, you think about this American soccer landscape. We all take from the game. Grant and his family can say he left it um, a lot better than it was. Uh, let's get some more reaction from around, not just the soccer, but the sporting world uh, as well. This from Gianni Infantino, the FIFA president, who says it was with disbelief and immense sadness that I have been made aware of the passing of renowned sports journalist Grant Wall. Uh, Infantino closed his statement by saying his love for football was immense and his reporting will be missed by all who follow the global game. Uh, Infantino, not the only one. With a statement, uh, Tyler Adams, captain of the U.S. men's national team, took to Twitter. Part of his thoughts, quote, as players, we have a tremendous amount of respect for the work of journalists. And Grants was a giant voice in soccer that has tragically fallen silent. That from the captain of the U.S. men's national team, Becky Sauerbrunn, captain of the U.S. women, tweeted the following, quote, the soccer community lost a real one today. And for women's soccer, one of the originals who helped drive our sport forward, Grant Wall never shied away from asking the tough questions, the right questions, the ones that got to the heart of the matter. He will be greatly missed. Of course, the reaction, as I mentioned, not limited to the soccer world. Anyone who knows Grant will know that one of the pieces he was most proud of over his career was the 2002 Sports Illustrated cover story, which introduced a teenage LeBron James to the mainstream sports fan. And after last night's Lakers game, LeBron shared his thoughts on Grant. Very fond of, of Grant and, uh, you know, having that, um, that cover shoot, you know, me being a teenager and him covering that, it was, um, it was a pretty cool thing. And he was always um, pretty cool to be around. He spent a lot of time in my hometown of Akron, um, covering me over the course of time before that, that, that shoot came out. And, um, or before that cover story came out, and I've always um, kind of watched from a distance. You know, even when I, you know, moved up in the ranks and became a professional, and you know, he kind of went to a different sport and, and things of that nature over the years. Uh, anytime his name would come up, I'll always think, think back to me as a teenager and having Grant, um, you know, in our building um, down at St. V. So um, it's a tragic loss. It's a, it's a, it's a unfortunate. Um, uh, you know, to lose someone as great as he was, um, you know, 
and uh, I wish his family, like I said, uh, the best, and um, you know, may, may he rest in paradise. All right, Herc, you, uh, you mentioned you were on Twitter last night like I was, just scrolling and scrolling, seeing all the, the Grant stories that everybody has. Is there one for you that stands out particularly, a thought on his impact, his legacy? You know, when I was growing up, there was a few magazines that did sports that I always would look at when I was in a doctor's office or when I was at the dentist's office. Mm -hmm. You had the Sports Illustrated on the coffee table or in the waiting room. You'd go through it. You're like, Sports Illustrated, that's pretty cool. And I always wanted to be on Sports Illustrated. Mm. And here comes Grant Wall, convinces Sports Illustrated to fly him out and do a story on me. Grant Wall tells me he's going to do a story on me and he wants to be in Torreon and he wants to kind of get to see how I live, speak to my coach Pedro Caicinha, what it's like for an American to play at Santos in Mexico. Comes down to Torreon, wouldn't let me receive him in my home. No, 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 I got this, his own hotel. Was gracious enough to accept coming out to dinner with my then girlfriend, now wife, and a few friends. Mm. Few bottles of wine yeah. <laughs> go by. And what I thought I knew about the American landscape, the who's who's and the what's, I had no idea of. And, and Grant had a, believe it or not, a, a funny way of being funny, of disarming you, yeah. of almost self-deprecating, of making fun of himself in a way. And just kind of told me what he thought about me, where I was at, and what I could do. Um, it was just incredibly kind. I just remember dinner. Um, and then after that, go back years later, and we're colleagues at Fox, Copa America, and him pulling me aside and really telling me the opportunity I had of, of his, in his own words, being a Mexican-American superstar mm. on TV. A legacy or, or, or a name I don't think I'll ever live up to. But coming from him, I thought that was wild. He's just, he was just always kind. I mentioned the text messages at the height of anything in my life. He was always the first one to reach out. And I regret that. His um, impact, you see, it's funny you mentioned the, the dinner. Um, the picture that I, I found in my phone first of... Um, Grant was this from the 2016 Olympics. Um, we were obviously both covering the U.S. Women's National Team, and Crusado was playing a game. They were actually playing it at the same stadium where the U.S. famously beat England in the 1950 World Cup. And we watched the game; it was a great game. And you know, you've seen a lot on Twitter people talk about Grant's like genuine love for the game. So after the game ends, uh, Grant wanders down to the field and kind of starts negotiating with the security guard to see if he can get on the field and get a piece of grass. Um, I don't think he was successful, ultimately. Kind of my memory fails me there. But it just went to show you how much he genuinely loved, not just the sport, um, but the history of it yeah. and the stories of it. And um, that picture was from the game. A few days before that, 
uh, we'd gone out to dinner. It was some of the NBC crew that's what I was working with at the time. Uh, mutual friends, Steve Goff of the Washington Post and, and Grant. And I didn't really know Grant at all uh, at that point other than from Twitter. And the way he treated me in that dinner was as a peer. And I was not a peer of Grant Walls. And I don't right. consider myself on that level still to this day. That was literally my first national exposure, my first international assignment. And the way he treated me was incredibly validating. Kind of what you said when you were at Fox. He validated you. He, yeah. he gave you that thing that made you puff your chest out. If Grant Wall is saying this about me, right. this means I really am. I can be this person. Um, and if you go on Twitter, you will see from... There's not dozens of these stories. There are hundreds of these stories from people who work in soccer that have a validation story from Grant Wall. Right. And I think that just speaks to um, kind of who he is. I won't say it, who he was. Um, as far as an impact and legacy, there's, there's a couple more things I want to point out before we kind of try to move on here because it's going to be very difficult. Um, you saw the cover of LeBron. That's a big story. Yeah. The guy who writes that story, who, if he's as talented as Grant Wall was, can go and write about the NBA, the NFL, baseball, whatever he wants. Grant chose soccer, and he proved to a major outlet that soccer was enough, that that was one beat, that he didn't need to do more to, to supplement that. And when he proved that to Sports Illustrated, he proved it to everybody. He proved it to ESPN. He proved it to Fox. He proved it to anybody else in English language. And when I graduated college in 2005, I, I could not have dreamt of this job. It didn't exist, Herc. There was, there was no TV people who were just doing soccer. I was a generic sportscaster when I left college. That was what I wanted to do, just a guy that liked soccer. But because Grant proved it was possible to a major outlet, it created a space for people like me to have a job like this, for there eventually to be a show like this. So I don't know if my career exists without him proving that to Sports Illustrated. I don't know if this show exists um, without him proving that to Sports Illustrated. And we talked about the overwhelming sense of loss. I also just feel an overwhelming sense of loss for Grant. You know, this, according to you know, what I saw from his Instagram, this was his seventh Men's World Cup. I do the math. That means he didn't cover, or at least cover fully, the 94 World Cup that was in the States. If there's anybody who deserved a chance to cover a World Cup, a Men's World Cup on home soil, his home soil, it was Grant. And he won't get that opportunity in 2026. And I, some of the games will be in Kansas City, which was effectively his hometown. Um, and so I'm, of all the things I'm sad about, I'm, I'm truly sad about that, that he won't, um, he won't get that chance. Why don't, we, um, why don't we wrap here with a look at a tweet from Grant's wife, Dr. Celine Gounder. This is from uh, last night. Quote, I am so thankful for the support of my husband Grant Wall's soccer family and of so many friends who've reached out tonight. I'm in complete shock. Once again, Grant Wall, the preeminent American soccer journalist, gone far too soon at the age of 48. Rest in peace.
We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. As difficult as it may be, we'll try to move on with the games that did happen today. England-France, the last of the four quarterfinals at Albite Stadium. France opening the scoring in the 17th minute. A goal from Chouameni. It was 1-0 at the half. It was 1-0 into the second half. That's when Harry Kane equalized from the penalty spot in the 54th minute to make it 1-1. France would reclaim the lead in the 77th minute. Olivier Giroud making it 2-1. And then in the 84th minute, another penalty for England. Harry Kane again stepping up to the spot, but this time sailing his effort over the bar. And the game finishes 2-1 final. France advance to the semis. England are out as we take a look at some of the notes from what will surely be remembered as a Clásico at this 2022 World Cup. Herc, your thoughts on the game? You know, this is one of those games that I didn't see coming. If you were to tell me that England loses the game that they dominated the majority of mm-hmm. versus France, I wouldn't have believed it. You felt the, they dominated. They I were did. that much better, yeah? Yeah, I, I did. I did. I, I think France sat back way too long. France invited way too much pressure. Was some of that down to the early goal, you think, or was England just that much better on the day for you? No, could have been. Yeah, early goal could be a factor into why they came into a defensive shell, why Deschamps' team all of a sudden was more pragmatic. Mm-hmm. But once they scored, it really was just England. And with the amount of talent they had on the field, Saka running rampant down that left-hand side for Teo Hernandez, his right-hand side, you just felt it was a matter of time for them to get that equalizer. Then they got the equalizer. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, this is it. Momentum's going to take over. And when France finally decide to cross half, finally decide to try to stretch that England black line, try to force him to commit an error, it's the ball whipped in, it's Giroud, and then it goes off Harry Maguire's back shoulder, if you will, and into the goal. And then you're thinking, okay, I think England still has enough in that tank. And they keep going down. What is that? uh, uh, Well, still Teo Hernandez's side because it was Teo Hernandez who commits the penalty on Mason Mount, who had just come in literally a few minutes right before that. An unnecessary foul. He says his shoulder, he says he used his shoulder. He did use his shoulder. The problem is he went shoulder to Mason Mount's backside. Right. And Mason Mount goes down. Uh, very easy call. 
He shouldn't have had to go to VAR. He went to VAR, made the penalty call, no problem. And then Harry Kane. If you were going to say Harry Kane was going to have a penalty kick in this game, mm-hmm. I would have said he makes it. Yeah. And he did, the first one. Right. He's going to have two. Should make it. Yeah, let's get into the psychology there because it's not just a second penalty in a game, which I think, and you'll tell me this is a, as a striker, somebody who at some point took penalties, surely the goal starts to shrink. It's also a second penalty against Hugo Lloris, who's his club teammate at Spurs. So you start to think more. Does this guy know my tendencies? Woo! Then we throw on top of it, the pressure. The pressure the moment. of the moment. Yes. I mean, I can just imagine from Harry Kane's what perspective, the goal must have looked this big. It, is that what you think happened there? Absolutely. So what do you think his approach was? Is he, is he trying to go down the middle? Is he going to the same side? What should he have done? Should he have done something different? His approach is hit it hard and through the middle. That's what I think he's, his approach was. He ended up getting underneath it a little too much and skies it. Now, what happens here is the train of thought that you just mentioned. You just hit a penalty kick over one of your teammates at the club level mm. who knows all your tendencies. You must have practiced penalty kicks in front of him a million times. And you're, you just made it. So now not only is it I'm taking a second penalty kick in the same game for the same goalkeeper, but it's the same goalkeeper who already knows you and knows you very well. So what do you do? Do you repeat sides on him? Do you change it? I think in his mind he was trying to make sure of it. So he wants to go hard and in the middle make Yoris decide, go one way or the other, and in all likelihood, uh, it goes in, right? The moment is a little much. He understands it. He gets underneath it. He skies it. It's not the first player to miss a penalty kick. Won't be the last. But no doubt that goal went from whatever the size it is in feet or in meters to being about a mouse hole big. Is there a case to be made that someone else should have taken it, given everything we just talked about? I've seen it happen. I've seen other players concede the penalty to somebody else. I don't think Harry Kane was about to do that. He's the guy you want in that instance. He takes him normally. He's the captain. He's the heartbeat of this team. Imagine if somebody else takes it and they miss. The questions would be, why didn't Harry Kane take this penalty? Why didn't he have the character? Why Why didn't he have the character, the courage, the personality, the leadership, the stones? He had the stones. Those who miss penalties are the ones who have the stones. So the game definitely lived up to the hype. We see France go through. We only got four teams left now in this World Cup. We've seen Brazil go out, who were the top favorite when the tournament started. Are France now the World Cup favorites for you? Yes. Yes. You didn't even bat an eyelash. You didn't hesitate at all? Listen, it doesn't... It didn't sound like you were very high on them tonight. No. Yeah. No. But I still had Brazil versus France in the final. I mean, France was always my favorite on that side. Um, when, I, when I did all this, I had Brazil-France, right? France was always that team. If they've underwhelmed or not shown you how great they can be because of the personnel on the field, that is something else. But they still, just an overall talent in, in playmakers and moments. Uh, and in a Giroud, it's all of a sudden hot. Yes, I'm taking France uh, as my team to beat in the rest of this final. But as this World Cup final has shown us, it don't matter what you feel or what you think can happen or what the numbers will tell you. This has been different. This has been a different World Cup. Rank the four in terms of the top favorite we know is France. 
Where do you see everybody else stacking up? France, Argentina, Croatia, Morocco. Really? Yes, and it'll probably be Morocco number one at the end of this. <laughs> yeah. No. If, uh... No, because of what I just told you. Right. Uh, you have to assume that, that Morocco and Croatia, with all due respect to those teams who have played so valiantly and so just spectacular in what they do, may run on E and run on it for too long. And when that's the case, it's who has more talent on the field. When it's not heart anymore, when it's not physicality, when it's not that emotion, when it's not that belief, well, you re uh, regress to what is that talent level. And if that's the case, it's France, Argentina, Croatia, Morocco. Uh, real quick, let's focus on England. We throw the term around all the time, fracaso. Is this a fracaso for England going out in the quarterfinals? Yes. Even against... The favorite, France? Yes, because of the circumstances of this game. Okay. You were the better team. We all had this as a 50-50 type of game. And during the game, exclude the score. I know that's very difficult right, to do. Right. But exclude the score. You were the better team. And you had the opportunity with about six, seven minutes left to equalize the game and take it to a place where France had no business of going and didn't want to go. This is a huge opportunity missed with this generation. Coming off a semifinal in 2018, coming off of finals in Euros, uh, at the Euros in 2020, to now, massive opportunity missed. Mm. If what you ha have to hang your hat on this tournament is a good performance that you lose versus France, and a win versus Iran and Wales, and you couldn't even beat the United States men's national team. I mean, they, That's pounded, a pill. they pounded Senegal in around 16. 12 goals in the first four and, games. And Senegal. So, so you came up against your first big team, your first real task. Right. And you lost. You played better then, but you lost. And that's what people will remember. I think of Gareth Southgate, and surely he'll be criticized for this, as all managers who go out, you know, are due. That, that's what happens. That's why we exist. But just think of what he's accomplished, right? And think about the fact that there was a long time when the quarterfinals were basically the high watermark for England at World Cups. You know, semifinals in 90, and then from then on, there's kind of a, a drought. Yeah. Suddenly in 2018, they make the semifinals. People will point it was the side of the bracket. Okay. Then European Championships, they make a final. People will point out it was at home. They've come here. They've impressed, but ultimately... They do go home in a quarterfinal. To me, fracaso seems harsh. And I know you're saying it because of the way they played. I'm saying it's harsh because of the way they played. They went up against mm -hmm. the team that most think Where'd is they the... they go out? They go out in the quarters. I mean, but do you, do you think England's a top four team yes. in the world? Absolutely. Really? Yes. They were one of the tournament favorites leading into this, Ebby. Uh, for, well, we'll have to look at the... It depends what odds make you're looking no, at. No, no, because no. it was very clearly they Brazil, France, Argentina were, were where the money just was ask at. ask me if they're top four. They were definitely top four tournament favorites. Okay, tournament Absolutely. favorites. But you think on paper they were a top yes. four team as well. Yes. Really? Yes. Overwhelming. They're the deepest team in the World Cup. Hmm. Overwhelming talent. Deepest team and deepest roster in this World Cup belongs to England. Hmm. The generation right now that is... In, they're very prime. That was expected to do something. A run is England. They go out in the quarters. Yeah. Still a future for England, I think. This is oh, not I'm like not a, saying, I'm not this saying is not, not like a, a Brazil where we kind of see them oh, the end always, of an era. There's always a future for Brazil. Too. Well, okay, surely that was a bad bad comp, but <laughs> still an older team compared to a younger Croatia, team. Croatia, who's coming off a of 2018 yep. runners up and now right here.
probably not going to be the case next World Cup, right? Because of the ages and whatnot. Yeah, real quick, uh, I'm just looking up the updated odds for the tournament. France plus 105, Argentina plus 150, Croatia plus 750, Morocco plus 1,000. So the order you had is right, but a massive gap there between Argentina Ooh, and Croatia. that Croatia at 750 right. looks tasty. Uh, why don't we take a look at some numbers from Harry Kane, who, of course, uh, scored one penalty but missed the second today against France. He is England's all-time top scorer with 53 international goals. Tied. Tied with Wayne Rooney for number one on that scoring list for the three Lions. For more reaction from England, France, why don't we head to outside Albaid Stadium where Alexis Nunes is standing by. Uh, Alexis, let's start with the sad stuff first. What are the England fans saying? What's their reaction? And do they feel like this is a fracaso, as we were just Ooh, saying? Good question. Oh, yes, Sevi, it is a cold and windy night here at the Albite Stadium. The perfect setting, some would say, for an England win. I think we're only just missing the rain, and it would have been perfect conditions for England, but you're 100% right. Herc, I agree with you. This is a fracaso total, o sea, total, because we talk about a golden generation of England players. We talk about a manager that trusts and understands his players. For all the criticism that he gets, the players 100% have his back. He has their back as well. They've been building for years and years now. We saw them flirting with, you know, I suppose greatness or what could have been greatness at that World Cup only to go out um, against Croatia. Then the Euros, which we thought was going to be the perfect setting for them to at least take home an international uh, trophy up against an Italy in your own backyard, an Italy that was questionable as well. And then now everyone said I was there for that Euro final just last year and every I think just immediately were quick to switch off talking about the Euros and said, look, let's calm down. The World Cup is next year. If we can get to the final of this Euros, we can definitely win this World Cup. And then they were looking at the draw. They were looking at how things were shaping up today, seeing Portugal crash out, seeing Brazil crash out on the other side as well. They would definitely fancy their chances against Morocco with the most respect to Morocco. We talk about how deep this team is. And still here we are once again, wondering what could have been. And we know I keep talking about this golden generation as we do talk about with the USA. And what everyone is now starting to worry about is how can we not make this become like what's happened to Belgium. Again, a golden generation, again littered with talent, again expecting them to, to win big things and dominate for a number of years. And then it's just still not there. Three back-to-back -back massive international tournaments and four years now, you're gonna have to wait. And I've just seen some of the reaction from back in the UK. You know, I live in London and let me tell you, it is just absolute heartbreak and shock. And last year when I witnessed them lose to Italy in um, that Euro final, it was hard break but it wasn't as much shock because England fans I would say they're definitely pessimistic they don't like to get ahead of themselves they will talk to you about all the years of hurt they've experienced in football they tell you they don't expect anything but this last year they've expected a lot and rightfully so you look at that bench that bench alone could be starting 11s for almost any other team who wouldn't really take them. Now everybody's wondering, should Gary Southgate have brought on substitutions more? You would wonder if Raheem Sterling should have started or Marcus Rashford. You're wondering, Harry Kane, should he have taken that second penalty? We literally just um, spoke to a couple of England fans and they said, it's Hugo Lloris, he knows him quite well, maybe he will know. And then maybe the pressure got to him as well. 
everyone's gonna take this game apart with a fine-tooth comb because they thought this was their best chance the it's coming home songs have been sung so much this week because this France team we spoke to Julian Laurence and he said that he felt like they were Kylian Mbappe dependent. I was the only one on FC that actually picked France to win this one. Jules switched in the end and said, look, I'm genuinely nervous because this England team has everything to take it to France. They can switch styles, they can sit back, they can dominate, which they did uh, to a certain extent as well. And it's so confusing and heartbreaking to go out of a game where you felt you were the better team, you had the better chances, so to speak, and yet you still lose to a France team where Mbappe was not the star of the night that didn't have Paul Pogba, didn't have Karim Benzema, didn't have N'Golo Kante and yet England fans now are looking for their flight home. So this is 100% I think a massive failure um, for Gareth Southgate and his men. It's going to be seen as that back in the UK surely and I think that this one is going to hit them harder than the last two that we've seen. Alexis, you spoke about Kylian Mbappe and that dependency that France has. I'm curious, uh, first, what was the split like between French and English fans in the stadium? And second, he didn't do much today, but when Kylian was on the ball, what was the reaction from both sides? Oh my goodness, Herc. I mean, well, let me start talking about the fans, though, because Shaka Hislop came from the Morocco-Portugal match, and when he walked to the stadium, he was like, Oh my days, it's a bit quiet in here, isn't it? <laughs> a completely different atmosphere from what we have been used to. Uh, the England fans were to our far end. I was actually closer to the French fans. And Jules even told us that, much like the Dutch fans, not many of them had made the trip out here. There were still some concerns about the tournament and about this current team, despite the fact that they are the defending champions of the World Cup. Um, but there was a lot of neutral fans, a lot of fans that showed up in their Premier League jerseys to try and show support, whether it was to the likes of Hugo Lloris or of course the the plethora of England um, Premier League players as well but there were a lot of neutral fans that genuinely were enjoying it but a lot of quiet moments as well it was quite tense um, but Kylian Mbappe every time he touched the ball everybody stood up everybody in that stadium stood up and even though he didn't have the brightest of nights so to speak the moment he touched the ball it was much similar to how it has been watching Argentina everybody was just waiting for Lionel Messi to do something special and of course he ended up doing that it was similar tonight because there were moments where obviously England were dominating possession they were going after they were constantly in the French box but then nothing was really happening so much Jordan Pickford was out quite a lot you know just kind of taking everything in and the minute that Mbappe got the ball and he was you know doing his usual like little stylish movements with Kyle Walker everyone just stood up holding their breath because they felt like something magical was going to happen it didn't happen for Mbappe but once again France definitely showing that they had the experience at this high level to get the job done yeah I had the chance to uh, see him live against Poland Electrifying, I think, is a, uh, is a good word. Alexis Nunes, we got to let you go. Thanks so much for the time here on Football Américas. As always, a pleasure to have you, and we'll see you soon on ESPN FC. Cheers, guys. As always, great to have Alexis there from uh, Albait Stadium in the aftermath of England, France. Let's get to the day's first quarterfinal, Morocco-Portugal. This one at Altumama Stadium. Once again, no Cristiano Ronaldo in the starting 11 for Portugal. Morocco actually striking first. Yusuf and Nasiri making it 1-0 in the 42nd minute. It was 1-0 at the half. Ronaldo was subbed on in the 52nd minute. And yet, despite his presence, and the fact that Portugal had get the 74% possession of the ball, 
It is indeed Morocco that hangs on for the win. They actually finished with 10 men. Fali Cherira got a red card in stoppage time. The Atlas Lions, the first ever team from Africa to reach the World Cup semifinals. And how about this? Just the third team from outside Europe or South America to make it this far in the tournament. They joined South Korea in 2002 and way back in 1930, the United States. Herc, Morocco through to the semifinals. How did they do it? <laughs> Explícamelo. Uh, it's, it's not just Ben do not break but it's what they do when they break right. in transition because they are so dangerous going forward. They don't do it quite often, but they make their presence felt when they do. Much like the Spain game where everybody's like, whoa, Spain dominated possession. This is, well, it's what you do when you have the ball. And Morocco is a true testament of that. They can get down your end in two, three touches and have a shot on goal. And it's a very dangerous shot. They're very good on set pieces as they've proven. Uh, and they've got a spirit about them. And I hate using these trigger words like spirit and right. fight. Cliches. Cliches. Yeah. But it is so true. And that can take you such a long way. Listen, they've only lost two games out of their last 50. Okay? One of them was against Egypt in the African tournament. Another one was against the U.S. men's national team in a friendly. They let go of their coach. Yep. Was two, three months before this tournament started. Three months before the World Cup began. Brought back Ziyech. Brought back some other players. And this team, you could say whatever you want, but it really ended up being the hardest group out of any in the oh. World Cup. I mean, yeah. you have two semifinalists in Croatia <laughs> right. and Morocco. You have a golden generation in Belgium, say what you want about their play, and a Canadian national team that I thought should have done better, but it's still a very physical stiff test yeah. for anybody. Um, and then they go on and show you that they can do it against top competition yeah. like Spain. They go on and show you they could do it against a very talented team in Portugal with some huge playmakers by not betraying their way, their style. And they only have one goal scored against them. Bono's only scored or only been scored on once and it was by his own teammate yep. in that Canada game. Yep. They he really made some are. big saves today. One on Joao Felix that was. A massive yep. combination play between Cristiano Ronaldo and Joao Felix uh, that Joao Felix hits with the, with the left side uh, or with his left foot. And it was a major sting, good pace on it, and he comes up massive. He was huge. But it's the massive performances by everybody. Who was it? Saiz, that until his hammy couldn't do, he couldn't do anymore. He was literally on the field until he couldn't do anymore. Then somebody else comes on. Onai, who, who Luis Enrique was like, oh, who that, is this guy? Who is this guy? <laughs> this number from? eight yeah. continues and proves how good he is. Ambarat. Um, who is one of the best defensive oh, midfielders yeah. in this tournament. Um, you want to talk about spirit. Ziyech, That's the yes. spirit guy, right? Bufal, who, who I'm sure Llorente is still having nightmares of. I mean, big-time performances. Hakimi, who, who you already knew names like Hakimi yeah. and names like Ziyech. But you're getting a sense of who this Morocco team is now by their overall play. And listen, man. I know we've said that Mexico and Brazil are of the greatest fan bases oh, every yeah. World Cup. <laughs> We're still hearing cars, yep. the horn, the klaxon. We're still hearing all this fiesta, this party, because of the Morocco fans. Oh, yeah. The talk of the town, the talk of any stadium experience has been Morocco, and they are rewarding these fans. They are rewarding us with upset after upset. So my one concern about Morocco coming into this game was like how much 
gas are they going to have left in the tank? Not just because they go 120 minutes against Spain, but because they're chasing the ball for 75% yeah. of that game. They just did the same thing. It was 74% this time possession. It only lasted 90 minutes, but surely they're still chasing. That's a huge physical exertion, yeah. um, and yet they have it. I think it's a testament to what togetherness can do. It's a sure. testament to their manager. Uh, I wonder if we're undervaluing the incredible home field advantage because you heard it in the live hit there from Alexis Nunes. Shaka was saying what a difference it was to go from the Maybe Morocco the only game. only home field advantage. Well, Argentina's got a home field advantage. But not like that. Not 90-10. Not 80-20. I mean, you can hear it on the television. Wow. It's coming through. How much does we that impact? That Netherlands versus Argentina was about 90. Should we view yeah. them as... as the home team? Not at, well, definitely the the home team. Should we view them as maybe not the, the, the weakest of the teams left? Because this now does feel almost like a home tournament for them. It feels like a home tournament. And you asked me to base them, yeah. right? To rank them. Um, I'm not giving you a ranking on belief or, or support because they would be number one. Right. Um, I'm not giving you a ranking on <laughs> their hit list. Because they are taking out the Liberian Peninsula one by yes, one. Yes, And France is coming up next. Right. Like, they're a scary team. France conceded possession to England, and it hurt them very bad. Almost did them in today. I don't know what this game is going to look yeah. like. I really don't. The ball don't. will just sit in the middle of the pitch. <laughs> Nobody will move. I, my gut tells me there's too much talent and too many playmakers on the French side. But we've seen what mentality, belief, this fight, and that home fan base can do for you. This is going to be a good game. Real quick, um, because we had a huge debate about whether the U.S. could ever win a World Cup, yes. right? And I, you mentioned the friendly between these two teams. Back in June, um, the U.S. Yes. were three goals better than Morocco. A very in different a Morocco. We'll, we'll, yes. we'll totally acknowledge that. Could the U.S. play this way? Could they replicate what's being done here? I also think there's some similarities in the they talent They played pool. this way their whole life. Okay. They play this way their whole So this is not something the whole U.S. Existence. could replicate and, and They can replicate run. it, sure. But do you see the players and where they play and actually play for the Moroccan team? Yeah. They're playing in high levels. They're playing at high levels. And, and they they're not significant kids. roles. And they're not kids. Yeah. This isn't their first go-around. They've been at the international game before. They've been good players at an international – I mean, Ziyech is probably in the same position that Pulisic was in, but he was a huge player at the Area Divisier. Yeah, yeah. You know? Champions League star with Ajax, yeah. Massive signing for, for Chelsea. So, and they've not won the World Cup yet. Yeah. Because no. even Croatia, who has a third place uh, finish yep. back in 98, I believe. Yes, correct. And as a runner-up finish last World Cup, have not had that fortune. And they've had world-class players right. for the last 20 years. The other similarity I see between the two teams is 14 of the 26 Moroccan players born outside Morocco, including Bono, born in Canada. Yeah. Um, the U.S. has You're telling that. me he's Canadian? No, but I'm, I'm pointing out that You're there's... You're telling me Bono's Canadian? I mean, the Canadian Federation probably would love to Ooh. you know get him, get him over for a one-time switch. Um, all right, let's focus on the other side of this. I did not know that. Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Fernando Santos. Yes. It was the story of at least the knockout rounds of this tournament. Did the manager, Santos, mishandle CR7 at this World Cup? This is tricky. Why? Because Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo deserved more. Based on his career, but not his behavior in this tournament, right? What behavior? I mean, he, he goes off the field and disrespects the coach by being caught on camera effectively saying, what's the rush to get me out of the game? That, that's, 
that's clearly what upset Santos and, and then led to his benching. It, right? Yeah. Okay. So, while I'm of the same thought that if Gonzalo Ramos comes in for you, your team does well, and the kid scores a hat trick, you have to go back to that yeah. well. The moment that Morocco's up, and you know they're just going to sit, it doesn't really matter because you know you don't have to defend that much if Cristiano's coming in later on. Put him in at the beginning of the second half. I mean, you, he waited have, seven minutes. It was the 52nd minute. Whatever. As soon as. It's a message. It's a message. Okay? Psychological, your team. We're going to go look for that goal. Right. He's one of the best finishers in modern football. In its history. In its history. You overwhelm Morocco with offensive play. I mean, not too much he could have done if you're Fernando Santos. You said he waited seven minutes? Yeah. I mean, that's the only thing I could say is he waited seven minutes too long. Right. It was that immediate message. But what are you going to do? He, he did what he was supposed to do. I just feel for Cristiano Ronaldo because he deserved more for, for what he's done for Portuguese football, what he's done in his, for his legacy, for who he is as a finisher, for who he was coming into this. Cristiano Ronaldo deserved more. He deserved a better exit. I, I think based on, you know, if we really view the act at the end of the South Korea game as, a, as an affront to the manager, it's a huge decision by Santos. Ramos kind of validates that decision, yes. right? If Ramos doesn't yes. have that hat-trick, if they don't win 6-1, um, Santos is getting criticized, and once that hat-trick drops, I'm, I'm kind of with you that there's... Hand is forced. Yeah, you're not going to make the change. 45th minute versus 52nd minute, you know, we can have our debate there. Did you feel like Ronaldo had an impact in this game once he came on? Because there's really only, to me, kind of that late... He has the layoff for Joao Felix. Brilliant layoff, okay. brilliant strike. And he then has there's the late one in the right-hand side. Yeah, where, where he gets in behind, which pretty is pretty much at Bono. Yeah, but it's it's a well-taken shot to the near post. Credit Bono for I think a good save, right? And, yeah. and not giving up a rebound, or at least much yes, of a rebound. But I, I, I would have expected more from Ronaldo, and an inspired, you know motivated, angry Ronaldo. I would have thought he'd have more. I give Morocco more, more credit because they congested okay. those areas. Okay, um, they they were just sitting back so much. It made it very difficult. Uh, you literally had at one point 10 guys hanging from a crossbar. It was that type of game. Um, but it's the way they broke after that. that right. uh, if you're Portugal, you always have to be mindful of. I don't know how much more Cristiano could do. You know, It's one of those games where as soon as they go down early, which I think for uh, Fernando Santos was not the plan, but as soon as you go down early, it changes the complexion of this game. Uh, it's just not the way I pictured Ronaldo going out. Yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll get kind of Big picture and all the thoughts in just a second, but I want to show some of the reaction that has come down since that game ended. Uh, this reaction that we're going to show you is from Georgina Rodriguez, his longtime partner, uh, and she had quite a bit to say on her Instagram. Uh, the key highlights here are the manager chose wrong today. So you know where she, her head's at. And then she said, you can't underestimate the best player in the world your biggest weapon. So let's go big she picture. She takes a little shot there. She says, a little shot? Well, because she references him as your friend and coach. Yes. And your friend and manager. Yeah. So a little shot there. Um, if we look at this as kind of the end of Cristiano Ronaldo's international career, certainly World Cup career, we couple it with what we know to be a significant moment of transition in his club career. How do you look at this end for Ronaldo? It's a disappointing end for Ronaldo because he's so much better than what we saw or the exit we saw from him. Is he or was he? 
is because okay. you're still talking about one of the world's all-time best finishers. Okay. And the discussion with Cristiano Ronaldo, at least in my eyes, mm -hmm. he's in the top five ever, right? And Leo Messi's in this as well. So whichever, them, whichever one of those two, let's say, would have won a World Cup, mm -hmm. would have moved in standing in that top five. There would have been a shuffle, a shuffle yeah. of that order. Most people would say right now they've got Pelé or Maradona. So whatever you want, right? Pelé or Maradona. And in that three, they would end in there a Leo Messi, a Cristiano Ronaldo, maybe a Zidane or a Ronaldo. Roy, original or, Ronaldo. Yeah, yeah, most people don't give Cruyff that, that credit. Look I, at that I'm stat. Them, Cristiano Ronaldo, no goals in the knockout stage of a World Cup. Is that a fluke or does that tell us something about him and in these key moments, I mean, at international that, level at least. That's that applied to Messi until this World Cup as well. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I think U.S. fans always say that, that Julian Green has more knockout round goals than Messi and Ronaldo combined coming into this I, World Cup. I don't Cups. want to put too much stock. And we've, and we've heard we've heard this as well many a times. Um, the best football isn't played at the World Cup, mm -hmm. right? Because this national team is very difficult to get these players in yeah. a as a cohesive Champions unit. League. It's Champions League. It is Champions League. And that is Mr. Champions right. League. For me, he, he's in my top five uh, best footballers ever. Along with Lionel Messi, there was going to be a reshuffling of, the, of that order, depending on which one of them lifted, if they were, if one of them were to lift the cup. Yeah. It feels like both in terms of his international career and his club career, he doesn't get to write his own ending. And I think for the all-time greats, you kind of want to walk off yeah. doing it. Sunset, how right? doing it how you wanted to do it as a star, as a center man, and I think that's pretty clearly not the case uh, for Cristiano Ronaldo. Let's take a look then at the updated bracket here at the 2022 World Cup. There are only four teams left. Croatia against Argentina, semifinal number one. Morocco against France, semifinal number two. All that ahead of the final. Next weekend. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get to uh, one of the big stories from yesterday. They followed after a tense quarterfinal between Argentina and Netherlands. FIFA opening a disciplinary case against Argentina for its players' actions during and after the match. FIFA citing order and security in its disciplinary code. A record 17 players combined were shown a yellow during or after the game. Among them, Lionel Messi, who was heated. Uh, we can't show it to you, but no doubt you've seen the clip. 
uh, him calling Wout Weghorst Bobo. <laughs> he also had some choice words for Louis Van Gaal, the Dutch manager. Quote, I felt disrespected by Van Gaal after his pregame comments and some Dutch players spoke too much during the game. Van Gaal sells that he plays good football and then he puts forwards in. Messi continued the box and starts throwing long balls. We deserve to go through and that's what happened. Louis Van Gaal, not the only one on Messi's radar, talking about Spanish referee Mateo Lajos. I don't want to talk about the referee because you can't be honest. If you talk, they sanction you. FIFA must think about it. They can't put a referee who isn't up to the task for these instances. No doubt, Herc, these are shots fired from Lionel Messi. Are they warranted? <laughs> what did he just, did he just, uh... The little Talladega Knights right there. Like, no offense, <laughs> right. but you're an idiot. <laughs> right. And remember, after I say, with all due respect. With all due respect, yes. that's what it was. Yeah. With all due respect. I'm not going to talk about the refs, but, but I'm going to talk about the refs. talk about the refs. I just, we've never, I feel like we've never seen Messi like this. He's always talked about as kind of the quiet, timid superstar. We are seeing real, not just intensity, but personality and, frankly, anger here. I kind of like it. As somebody who's, who's watched Messi forever and, and really admired him, I like this new Messi. Yeah. Can I talk about the – can I speak to the hypo hypocrisy of world football? Why? Because if this was Cristiano Ronaldo mm. with these actions, these words, people would be going crazy. But everybody's okay with it because it's Leo Messi? Well, one player has a long history of behaving one way. Messi does not. What, so you what, kind of what you history? look at the circumstances. So should more. you be judged? Should we judge you by by everything you've done in your past, not by what you show us now? Yeah, let me tell you something. If I've got three speeding tickets, the judge is going to look at my fourth differently oh, than gonna, if I've never had a speeding ticket. So when's the last time you've heard Cristiano Ronaldo? When you've seen Cristiano Ronaldo try to fight a whole bench, you've seen Cristiano Ronaldo go at, at the coach, then you've seen Cristiano Ronaldo in the middle of an interview saying, what are you looking at, idiot? <laughs> huh? Oh, that was pretty great, actually. I liked it. <laughs> uh, that's the thing. People think it's great when Messi does it. Why, why when Cristiano does half of that, or, or just, this, just a look, when Cristiano doesn't look happy because he's on the bench, you jump on Cristiano. And I'm not defending Cristiano. I'm not, def I'm not trying to persecute Messi. But there's a double standard, there's a hypocrisy when it comes to Leo Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, and it goes both ways. Yeah. It goes both ways. Uh, if we're going to talk about hypocrisy, with, at least when Messi's concerned, he's complaining about the ref. There's a play, the handball, that he ref gets off scot-free. Right? Should have been a yellow card. Right. So and with the, with these dumb FIFA rules, right. where would Messi be next game? Well, he wants to complain about Lajos, but I mean, in, in to that end, Lajos maybe bails him out and, and, and leaves him available for the semifinal. In all fairness, the referee was terrible. Yes, <laughs> uh, absolutely. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Get back to the issues of CONCACAF, specifically El Tri and Mexico's managerial search, which, uh, as we know, Herc, according to reports, is now very much starting to heat up. 
record reporting that the Mexican Federation president, Yom De Luisa, has asked Miguel Herrera to present his sporting project and that El Piojo will be considered for Mexico's coaching vacancy alongside candidates like Guillermo Almada and Jaime Lozano. Herrera, of course, managed Mexico from 2013 through 2015. That includes the 2014 World Cup. Herc, are you cool with El Piojo being considered? This is terrible. Terrible? That terrible. seems strong to me. Yeah? Yeah. Do you, do you like this? Well, uh, yes. I, I, I don't <laughs> mind that he's being considered, and I'll tell you why. Um, if I look back at his tenure, right, he takes over after the worst qualifying campaign that we can remember, going back to when they failed to qualify in 82. He slams together an effectively all-star team, America and Leon, and then builds to beat New Zealand. Okay, but then and then from unbelievable, there, unbelievable from goal there, he reached. And then from there, puts some other pieces in, takes a team to Brazil that, for my money, plays very attractive. Mm -hmm. Gets seven points mm -hmm. out of a group with Brazil, so you get a scoreless draw against the hosts. And then I think many people would say played well against Netherlands. If we're going to compare to what happened this tournament where Tata Martino said, I'm not going to try to play toe-to-toe okay. -to -toe with Argentina. They tried to play toe-to-toe -to -toe with Netherlands, and if not okay. for no era penal, right. maybe Mexico makes it to El Quinto Partido. Oh, and they then didn't on... get to the Quinto Partido with them? Well, but no, but no Mexican manager has. That's out of 1986. So okay. if we're so going to hold him so to he that... he didn't do anything different. Well, compared to Tata Martino, who they just had, he did a lot different. Nunca, he did a lot different. Como siempre. Let's, go to okay. the, let's go to the next tournament, next 2015 tournament. Gold Cup. Should we a, really go there? A versus A. A versus A. And you can say what you want about the quarterfinals and the refing. You can say what you want about the semifinals and the refing. They it's not say what you want. It, don't, just, don't, don't just leave that context out. He went limping in, okay? Oh, what happened there was to the U.S. in that scandal. tournament? They limped the out. They limped out. So We're it's not Mexico, Jamaica. Mexico dominates if, Jamaica and wins the final. If that's I mean, the pool you want to swim in, go it, back to Miguel Herrera. It's an, it's, it's an A versus A goal. He's, got a, he's got a legit gold cup under his Why belt. Why did he leave? And a very solid. Why did he leave? So that, that to me is the one Wait, concern answer here. It. I have no idea why FMF wants to know about his sporting project. If there's a question about Miguel Herrera, it's... What's your behavior going to be like? Okay. Right? How are you going to behave? Because it's not just why he got fired after 2015 for assaulting a journalist. Assault, brother. Right? But beyond that, assault, beyond brother. that, we can also look at his time with America. Some people will say that it was results on the field, but there's an incident in that CONCACAF Champions League against LAFC. Ante Razov. With Ante Razov. And that cost, in Orlando. I think that cost him his job with America as well. So the knock on Herrera here has to be, from the Federation standpoint, are you ready to really represent us again? It has nothing to do with his sporting project. If you're asking for the sporting project, I think he's very solid there. Oh, solid? Yeah. Besides getting punched out by Ante Razov, did he get punched out of the tournament by LAFC? Yeah. I mean, that oh, was a oh, bubble CONCACAF Champions Oh, okay. League. Fine, fine. You're going to say he's a bad coach because of that? And then Tijuana, and then America, and then Tigres. Where are the success stories there since? I think he's pretty successful in America. <laughs> Not at Tigres. You, you hated him at Tigres. What? You're Come very anti-Piojo. Tell us why. Because of everything you just explained. Just a behavioral He's a walking thing. liability. Okay. And he's shown you nothing sporting-wise that would make you think he's capable of taking a pool of players that has no world-class players to the next level. So why do you go back, or why must everybody go back to Miguel Herrera? Because that's the last good sensation you had of the Mexican national team? Is that what you're telling me? 
Yes. In a lot of ways, yes. yes. I mean, I think Juan Carlos Osorio during qualifying, there was some good sensations. He there. won qualifying. Yeah, and he beat the U.S. in the U.S. He, he achieved some things that hadn't been done in Mexican soccer. But there was also a lot of criticism. So the profe who comes here and does a tactical board, <laughs> next time he's here, we're going to sit here and tell him, profe, I'm sorry. Right. I'd rather have Piojo Herrera who I just said rather. People. I just don't mind him being considered. Ah, uh, it's terrible that he's being considered because you're swimming in the same shallow pool. Right. We talk about like NFL coaches all the time. You're that's just recycling you the same people. That's what you baraja. think this is. It's, 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 and, and Guillermo Almada at least is different, and he's a system coach that plays in a way that gets new players and younger players involved in the program. He's not an Americanista, so I know your heart's not there. Ah, there it is. But you got to think outside the box. You got to start reaching for the stars. I'm talking Luis Enrique. I'm talking Oof. whoever's. I mean, whatever the case may be, it's not that difficult. It is football. And he's a national team coach. All you got to do is watch the pool that you have. It's not a situation where you have endless amounts of players in Europe. There's a pool right there that's easily, easy to uh, visualize. I hope they didn't spend all their money on Tata because you talk about a guy like Luis Enrique, that's going to cost a pretty penny. Anybody of that level uh, is not going to come saying. I'm not saying. cheap. All right, let's run it back because we do have some highlights that we can show you. <clears throat> Thanks, FIFA. This is from Borussia Dortmund's friendly earlier today, and you're never going to guess, Gio Reyna can score goals, Herc. Oh, this is not going to end well. <laughs> um, are you telling me Gino Arena's fit? He doesn't look unfit when he smashes that volley in. Somebody talk. Gio, for the love of all that is good and holy, talk. Somebody will talk. These things get out, and I cannot wait for the truth to come out. Uh, more good news for U.S. Sure. fans. Uh, Malik Tillman with a brace in a friendly for Rangers against Bayer Leverkusen. So going up against the Leverkusen. Bundesliga competition there. And he, uh, he scored twice. So good news there for fans of the U.S. men's national team. All right. That's going to do it for us. And tomorrow, there is no show. Oh. You get a day off, I get a day oh. off, we get a day off from you, each other. You get a day off. Ah, oh, pobrecito Hercules. Gotta work in Spanish. We do have a big show planned for you on Monday when we will be back at our usual time, 4 p.m. Eastern time, live on ESPN+. Plus. The topic du jour for Monday, Herc? What is it? Who should be the next manager of the U.S. men's national team if it is not indeed Greg Berhalter. Your idea? All that. It's a stupid idea. On Monday, here on Football America. We'll see you 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific, right here on ESPN Plus.